This is The Guardian. Today, what's happening in the West Bank while the world's attention is on Gaza? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. A quick heads up before we start, this episode does contain some distressing scenes, so please take care while listening. I'm from Hebron. I was born there and all my life is there. It's the industrial city of Palestine. Issa Amro is a Palestinian activist living in the West Bank. The city is around 5,500 years old. It's so old city and very beautiful. It's my homeland, hometown. It means my life to me. Today, Israeli settlements, which are illegal under international law, can be found right in the middle of Hebron's historic city centre. Because of that settlement, we have around 22 checkpoints. Streets are segregated, so I'm not allowed to walk in the streets where I used to walk. I'm not allowed to visit my house where I was born. Around 1,800 shops closed around that area. You can see soldiers, you can see roadblocks, you can see gates, you can see walls. It moved from the richest part of Palestine to the poorest part of Palestine. In Hebron, Israeli settlers have been attacking and harassing Palestinian residents for decades. Isa told us that in the last year, since the current right-wing government came to power, these attacks have ramped up. It used to be one attack per week, became 10 attacks per week, two or three attacks per day. The purpose to make the people leave. And now, in the wake of the Hamas attack on October the 7th and the Israeli bombardment of Gaza, the situation in the West Bank appears to be entering a dangerous new phase. All the checkpoints in West Bank are closed. The Israeli army is shooting without following the army instructions. Settlers join the army and they are in army uniform or they are in civilian uniform. They attack the communities, they scare them, they intimidate them, they damage their uh, fields, they damage their houses, they vandalize it, they search them. And if they catch you and detain you, they really beat you up, and they do to you what they did to me. I was lucky that I came back alive. As Israeli forces encircle Gaza City and a humanitarian crisis grows, tensions are boiling over throughout the West Bank. Along with calls for Israel to articulate a plan for what happens when the war ends, there is a growing understanding that any plan for the future must include both Palestinian territories. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, fear and fury in the West Bank. Julian Borger, you're The Guardian's World Affairs Editor and you've just come back from the West Bank, somewhere you've been a lot as a reporter. What was it like this time? It's always been really difficult because of the limitations on travel and movement that the whole system imposes on Palestinians. 
I was crossing over with our colleague, Sufyan Taha. We were just edging forward at one of the boarding crossing points, and they wanted us to stop. We didn't see the hand signal, and so we continued to edge forward. And then suddenly these very young soldiers got really animated, started shouting, very aggressive, and it was an insight into the everyday humiliations of being a Palestinian in the West Bank. You will have young teenage soldiers, heavily armed, telling you what to do, and often deliberately humiliating you and making sure that you knew that you were from a lesser people. Okay, so before we fully get into those rising tensions, can you tell me a bit more about the geography of the West Bank? Yes, the West Bank was carved out under a UN agreement at the end of 1948 war, and it is, as it suggests, the West Bank of the River Jordan, a very sort of dry, hilly terrain where nomads, herders, scratcher living off the hillsides, and it's increasingly become an urban environment. And in that area spread out are 3 million Palestinians and about 450,000, half a million settlers. So since 1967, Israel has occupied the West Bank. And since an attempt at peace in the early 2000s, cities like Ramallah, Nablus, Jenin, they're nominally run by the Palestinian Authority, while the rural areas are under the control of the Israelis. But Julian, under international law, the West Bank is Palestinian territory, and it's seen as key for any future Palestinian state. Nonetheless, there has been a huge influx of Israeli settlers and they've moved to set up communities in the West Bank. Can you explain who these settlers are and why they're there? Some are there for nationalist reasons. Some are there for religious reasons. And then there are a lot of people there just for economic reasons. There are a lot of government incentives to move there. A lot of Russian Jews who arrived were sent there and given special deals. But you have these big settlement blocks around Jerusalem, which now, after all this time, are just treated like an extension of Israeli Jerusalem. So they're kind of successfully, in sort of real terms, managed to annex that area around Jerusalem. It's been very difficult for the Palestinian Authority to push back. So ostensibly, Palestinians have more freedom of movement in the West Bank. It's not blockaded like Gaza. But can you tell me about Hamas's presence, if at all, in the West Bank? Hamas runs Gaza and has done since mounting a coup against the Palestinian Authority in 2007. It does not run the West Bank. How does it differ politically and socially from Gaza? It is not an open prison like Gaza. There is more movement, for example, in and out of East Jerusalem. Obviously, it's a bigger area and Palestinians can cross into Jordan, so they are not as enclosed. It isn't that claustrophobic feeling of Gaza. On the other hand, unlike Gaza, there are still Israeli settlements there, constantly spreading, and the settlers in the West Bank have been constantly supplied with arms, and there's a huge gun culture among the settlers. So there is daily friction between Palestinians and settlers and Israeli security forces. And this is one of the complaints even within Israel, that so much of the IDF and so much of the military power of Israel had been devoted to defending and protecting these very aggressive settlers. Before the October 7th attack, what was the situation in the West Bank like? 
it was tense because the core of Benjamin Netanyahu's government was creeping annexation of the West Bank. The Israeli government has advanced plans for some 5,700 new homes in the occupied West Bank, despite US pressure to stop settlement expansion, which it sees as an obstacle to peace for the Palestinians. That meant pushing Palestinians off land and settlers asserting direct control over more and more of the West Bank. So it was a situation of constant tension and then occasional eruptions in places like Janine. Palestinian officials say about 3,000 people have fled their homes in the refugee camp in the town of Jenin since Israel started a major military operation there overnight between Sunday and Monday. The Israeli government says the counter-terrorism action will continue for as long as needed. Palestinian politicians have described it as an invasion. At least nine Palestinians have been killed on Middle East. So it was bubbling, but... Obviously, the 7th of October has knocked that up a whole level. I was the first Palestinian to be detained on October 7th. Issa Amro told us that after the Hamas attacks on October the 7th, the Israeli settlers in his neighbourhood came for him. Imagine you have a neighbour who hates you so much because of your human rights work, because of your community work, because you are reaching out to many, many people all over the world. And your neighbor is a loser, and he's extremist, and he's crazy, and he's racist. Then something happened. You come back to your house. In the way to your house, a few meters far from your house, your neighbor will be in a military uniform with the M16 and detains you, handcuffs you, blindfolds you, tie your mouth, and beats you, beats you, spit on you, take pictures with you, insult you badly, and, and that takes 10 hours. Not only one, the other neighbors too, who hate you too. And they rejoice. They listen to music when they do it. And they keep you under very cold air conditioning. And they bring their kids to take pictures with you. They cook the gun to tell you, yalla, one, two, three, you will be killed. You faint two times and they don't care about you. Your hands are tight to maximum with the plastic cuffs. Blood doesn't reach your fingers. And it's so painful, so painful. And then they come, hit you, slap you, kick you, punish you in the face. Ten hours, continuously. I don't know what made them not kill me that day, because they could. They took me to the military base. No one, around 30, 40 soldiers. You please them to stop torturing you. No one of them shows you mercy. No one of them showed me any kind of mercy, any kind of kindness. Then you go back to your house. You don't get medical treatment. You have no enough food in the house because you, I'm alive alone and I don't have a family to cook uh, together. You stay one week hungry in your house because it's a curfew. Then you leave because they allowed you to leave. You come back. They detain you again. A week after... They evict you from the house. I was evicted in October 20th by the army. Why? Because I received an international Australian journalist to talk to him about what happened to me and what is happening in the West Bank. It's 10 times more. More violence, more detention, more brutality, more, more displacement. This is a phenomena from Hebron to Jenin.
Bethlehem, around Ramallah, around Nablus, Jordan Valley. It's all. Julian, you've just come back from reporting from the West Bank. Can we go through the situation step by step, starting with the increase in violence? Once Gaza started to come under heavy bombardment, then there was an immediate upsurge of unrest in the West Bank. In particular, in some of the refugee camps in Janine, but also near Tulkarim refugee camp that led to, I think, the first Israeli airstrike from a fixed one fighter for uh, about 20 years. They hit this refugee camp just outside Tulkarim in a way just to quash the beginnings of uprising on the West Bank. Israel has also launched an airstrike on the West Bank, targeting a mosque in the Janine refugee camp. Israel described the site as a terrorist compound and said it was being used to prepare attacks. And at the same time, there has been an upsurge in settler violence, fueled maybe by anger by 7th October, but also probably a certain amount of opportunism. That now is the moment for us to make our grab. And everyone knows that the direction of travel is towards annexation. And a lot of people I was talking to, Ramallah, were very aware of that. And everyone had this mantra they are not going to push me out to Jordan. If they want to try and push me out on Jordan, I will stand here and I will die where I live. And so what has been a steady level of simmering violence in the West Bank was just raised a significant notch and continues to rise. Visitors here broken our houses, cutting the lines of the electricity and the water, burning in the homes. There are shooting many guys here. There's I hitting many, many people here in my community. Yeah, I'm living in Masafariyatta. This is many villages like in the south of Hebron Hills. And so what has that meant for Palestinians on the receiving end of that settler violence? There have been more than 100 deaths in West Bank since the attacks. There's been reportedly 1,500 arrests, many of those without charges. And there has been a constant drumbeat of violence. You have Bedouin communities in the south Hebron Hills who have been turfed out by Israeli settlers bringing their goat herds in, displacing them, and them deciding after people being beaten up, people being terrorised, that they can no longer stay in places where they've been, in some cases, for centuries. Ultimately, we had to leave because settlers came from 7am, sitting and sometimes sleeping in the house to harass us. If one of them wanted a drink, they would go to the refrigerator and help themselves as if the house belonged to them. And then you have just this random killings. I was in Ramallah and the day before, the guy who sold herbs in the central square, who was just a fixture of Ramallah, you know, you'd go for your parsley and your mint, for your tavole, and he would forage around in the hills for it. And when he was foraging, a settler came up to him and shot him, point blank. He wanted to make olive oil. He planted herbs in season to sell so he can feed his sons. This olive season, he said, they might not have enough. He was just trying to provide for his family. Fake news. Yossi Dagan is the elected chairman of the Shonmon Regional Council, responsible for 35 illegal Israeli settlements in the northern occupied West Bank. 
After the media started reporting Bilal's death, Dagan recorded a statement describing the Palestinian farmer as a terrorist who had threatened the lives of settlers close by. Someone else, a farmer, was picking his olives and he was shot dead by a settler. This feeling of day by day being picked off and having no defence. Julian, what's the atmosphere like there now? It's one of anger, feeling of helplessness and a feeling of frustration that feeds at least vocal support for militant groups. The Palestinian Authority is resolutely non-violent. They've said there's no point in going up against the Israeli Defence Forces because more innocent people will die. And so there is a sort of hunger among West Banks who see Palestinians being killed with impunity for someone to stand up and defend. A small glimpse of a bigger picture that terrifies Arab rulers who've been busy making peace with Israel. Waiting down the road in front of Palestinian government buildings, the riot police poised to crack down. They haven't had an election in the West Bank in 17 years. Hamas is seizing the mandate from afar. And how are Palestinians in the West Bank coping? I'm not sure if they are. I think this is really painful for them. They see Palestinians, their relatives, their friends being killed every day. And there's a feeling of sort of survivor's guilt and just rage that nothing is being done. I have a six-month boy. Mm. I am ashamed to look at, at him in my home. Mm. Yeah, I, I speak, speak truly. When I look to my, uh, to my uh, child in the home, I, I, I cry. Because when I see the, the, the world is like the audience, they don't have anything to do, not only the Arab uh, people, not only the, the Islamic people, all the world. Everyone I spoke to was in a kind of nihilist mood, and I don't want to hear about two-state solution. They think that was all a trap, which from their point of view it was. So, from what you're hearing, this land that they've long been led to believe would form part of an independent Palestinian state in the proposed two-state solution, that's gradually been taken away from them, and so some people now feel that they're being strung along. Well, that's the sort of nihilist part. Let's just stand and fight, and if we die, we die, because of this lack of belief or faith that two states is anything other than a trick for them to give up their land and their territory and their livelihoods. And that's their experience. Coming up, can the international community influence what happens next in the West Bank? Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy 
can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Julian, you've interviewed Mohammed Shtaya, who is the head of the Palestinian Authority, and he said the international community has a rare opportunity to try and leverage a two-state solution. Can you explain what he meant? He was trying to see how can we bring something good out of what is happening now. And the way he sees it, with this optimistic point of view, is that the Israelis will find themselves in Gaza They don't want to stay in Gaza. They need someone to run it. And the Israelis themselves say, well, we'll go to the Gulf states, we'll go to the Arab neighbours and get them to run it for us. And so Steyer is saying this is a rare moment where you can say to Israel, if you want us to fill the political vacuum so that Hamas doesn't come back, then you have to address the issue of the West Bank as well. So he is hopeful that eventually Israel will turn to the Palestinian Authority and negotiate with them to run Gaza, which is something the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has also been suggesting over the weekend. In defining that future, in shaping that future for Gaza, for the West Bank, and ultimately for a Palestinian state, Palestinian voices have to be at the centre of that. The Palestinian Authority is the representative of those voices, so it's important that it play a leading role. At the moment, there's not even talk of a ceasefire in Gaza, let alone who will run it after the war. So any discussion for a deal for greater Palestinian authority control in the West Bank seems an awful long way off. For one, what would happen to the Israelis living in the West Bank? That is the big problem, because even if you saw a post-Netanyahu government that was prepared to enter into negotiations and go back to the idea of two states... When it came to the point of trying to remove Israeli settlers from the West Bank, it would be so politically traumatic within the Israeli electorate that that government would fall. That It's so hard politically for Israel to drag settlers out. It's much easier to see a sort of swing back to the hawkish view that what we have to do is break the Palestinian will first in Gaza and then in the West Bank, and then we will be safe. And there is a point of view on the Israeli right that it's because Israel withdrew from Gaza that it fell into Hamas' hands and we have these problems and we must never repeat the same mistake in the West Bank. Julian, in your view, how bad could the situation get? I mean, is it possible that another full-scale war could imminently erupt in the West Bank and that the IDF will be fighting two conflicts at once? The IDF could be fighting more than two conflicts. Obviously, it's worried about the northern border, Hezbollah. It's worried about what Iran's intentions are. 
So there's always a threat. And on the West Bank, we are 18 years since the end of the Second Intifada. There was a lot of talk when I was in Ramallah about a Third Intifada. It's really hard to predict what would set off a general uprising. But I think one thing is for sure that the level of violence will increase. And so you could have a slow rolling intifada, a general climate of violence. Finally, Julian, you've been reporting from the region and on the region since the 90s. Leaving the West Bank this time, how different did it feel from other trips? I think there was much greater despair I think despair has been creeping over the last two decades and a sense of powerlessness, a very grim outlook where the options were either to leave the region altogether or face the possibility that you may have to die to defend your home and stay where you are. It's a very dark atmosphere at the moment. I have three options. Either I accept to be a slave and give up my rights and give them my land and lose my identity as a Palestinian identity and act as an animal who's looking for shelter and food. Or I use violence to get my rights or use nonviolence. I chose nonviolence. It's the international community to make Israel accountable for its occupation and apartheid and supremacy and racism. And the Israelis will be willing to make peace and give Palestinians rights and do election. Palestinians do election and choose new leadership and we make peace with uh, making a referendum. Two-state solutions, according to the international law, is still possible. It's hard. But with refugees coming back and East Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine. But we are closer now. We are going to work. One state solution with equal rights. Because uh, I see that there are settlers everywhere. Palestine is fragmented. East Jerusalem became uh, almost a Jewish city. They really managed to remove the Palestinian identity of the majority of the neighborhoods in East Jerusalem. But there is no solution without resharing the land, giving it back to Palestinians and sharing the economy and everything. We want one state with equal rights, with full equality, with accountability for the occupiers. I don't know if I can forgive or forget in my life what happened to me in October 7th. I think about it every night. I have a nightmare about it every night. Not only me, many other Palestinians. Many, many other Palestinians are suffering from the occupation. And they are not extremists. They are normal people. That was Issa Amro in Hebron and The Guardian's world affairs editor, Julian Borger. My thanks to both of them for speaking to us. To read Julian's reporting from the West Bank and the latest developments on the conflict, do head to theguardian.com. We asked for a response from the Israeli Defence Force to allegations in this episode, and a spokesperson told us... Since the October 7th massacre, there has been a significant increase in terrorist attacks in Judea and Samaria, which is what they call the West Bank. With over 550 attempted attacks occurring since the beginning of the war, the IDF conducts nightly counterterrorism operations to apprehend suspects. Some of them are part of the Hamas terrorist organization. In addition, as part of the security operations in the area, dynamic checkpoints have been put up over different places. 
Due to the IDF constant presence in the area, the soldiers encounter incidents of violations of the law by Israelis. Some may be violent incidents or incidents directed at Palestinians or their property. In these cases, the soldiers are required to act to stop the violation and, if necessary, to delay or detain the suspects until the police arrive at the scene. Isa Amro's application regarding the restriction of his presence in the territory was received and is under consideration. The IDF operates in accordance to international law. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Courtney Youssef and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Adam Bransbury. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.